This is The Read Out Loud, a weekly biotech podcast from STAT. I'm Damian Garde. I'm Adam Feuerstein. And I'm Rebecca Robbins. All three of us are coming to you from the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference in San Francisco. It's Thursday, January 10th, and we've got a special show planned for you this week. But first, a word from our sponsor. Bringing a new drug to market is getting tougher and tougher. At Cineos Health, we're changing the game. The result of a merger between INC Research and Inventive Health, Cineos Health has one goal in mind, shortening the distance from lab to life. Visit CineosHealth.com forward slash podcast. That's S-Y-N-E-O-S health.com forward slash podcast. Good morning, everybody, um, and welcome. On behalf of my colleague, Michele Colucci, next to me, and I we want to thank you for joining us uh, and welcome you to the 37th Annual J.P. Morgan Conference. So for the uninitiated, J.P. Morgan is biotech's biggest annual gathering. Thousands of bankers, analysts, entrepreneurs, and investors gather each January in San Francisco's Union Square neighborhood to strike deals, talk stocks, and set the agenda for the year ahead. This podcast is not about those people. Instead, we wanted to present the story of J.P. Morgan through the eyes and with the voices of the Lyft drivers, the bartenders, and the hoteliers without whom Biotech's answer to Woodstock simply wouldn't happen. You may be familiar with a people's history of the United States. That's the populist version of American history written by the historian Howard Zinn. Well, here's a people's history of J.P. Morgan. Our first stop is a restaurant right in the heart of Union Square. It's an old school place called Scala's Bistro, where they serve Italian-American food. We dropped by Scala's on Monday afternoon. And while we were there, we met a busser named Trevor O'Donnell. He's been working at the restaurant for about two and a half years. Here's what Trevor had to say about what J.P. Morgan Week is like for him. It is the extra inning of the holiday season. For most places, uh, I think in, in the city or maybe in the nation, uh, things slow down drastically after New Year's, but for us, we get this last rush, this big kick. The J.P. Morgan conference goers, I, they're, they're very focused on their work, and it's interesting to watch people spend uh, four, five, six hours in the restaurant, um, basically having a meeting. The whole restaurant just becomes a large conference room. Yeah, you get people that come at eight o'clock in the morning, and they'll, they'll go to different tables in the restaurant throughout the day, but they'll still be there when I'm leaving at four o'clock in, in the afternoon. We were also curious to know, are J.P. Morgan attendees good tippers? Keep in mind, Scala is charging $25 per person per hour for attendees just sitting down to take meetings. It varies, and because we've instituted a uh, policy where we charge just for sitting, I think that kind of affects the tips, um, and people tend to tip less because they're paying more just to sit down. We also asked Trevor what kind of food J.P. Morgan attendees order. Cobb salads, iced tea. Those are like, I think, the the big sellers, certainly. JP Morgan Week means a lot of networking, and networking means a lot of drinks. So we're gonna parachute into Sam's Cable Car Lounge. That's a Union Square haunt with a pretty unsettled exterior and a tourist-friendly theme. I stopped by the lounge around 1 p.m. on Tuesday when things were pretty slow. While I was there, I met Nikki, a bartender at the lounge. 
Nikki served me up what's called a cable car Cosmo. It consists of blueberry vodka, peach snaps, and lime juice. Thank you so much. Here's what Nikki had to say about the kind of drinks that JP Morganers tend to order. So mostly it depends. If during the day, sometimes they drink beer, a couple beer, but sometimes they come late night, like a little bit hot liquor. But the one thing I feel like JP Morgan, they very, they know how to drink. They don't get crazy. Even as a bartender, they say, would you like some more? You know, I want to make a sale. But they say, no, they're good. You know, they really have a responsibility to, to do for drinking. Now let's hear from Lewis Wiley. He's the shift manager at Bancarella Cafe, a coffee shop that is literally in the middle of Union Square, just feet from the conference doors. Lewis has worked at Bancarella on and off since 2012. We sat down with him on Tuesday afternoon at one of the cafe's outdoor tables where we were surrounded by JP Morgan meetings. Here's what Lewis told us about what patrons from JP Morgan tend to order from his cafe. Coffee, anything pretty quick. Um, they seem to be pretty busy and on the move. So coffees, you know, quick latte, cappuccino, and then they're back to business. And naturally, we also asked Lewis whether J.P. Morgan attendees are good tippers. They tip very well. Monday was the best tip day we've had in January over the last five years. One of the most familiar and dreaded rights of J.P. Morgan is the registration line. When I got in line on Sunday afternoon to pick up my conference badge, I was surrounded by all the usual suspects, namely middle-aged professionals. But there was one exception, a little girl who was in line with her mom. We started talking. I learned that the little girl's name is Sophia, and she's a six-year-old in kindergarten. She was with her mom, Sarah McDonald, a JPM conference goer who's vice president of corporate development and strategy at the healthcare provider Kaiser Permanente. I caught up later with Sarah and Sophia in Sophia's playroom at their home. Sophia graciously allowed me to interrupt a tea party she was hosting to do an interview. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah, that's good. So what's it like to wait in a queue with a bunch of stuffy business types when you're a six-year-old? It was fun, kind of, because um, it was raining, and I, get, uh, I got to play with my um, umbrella. I also talked to Sarah, that Sophia's mom who works at Kaiser Permanente, about why she brought her daughter to the J.P. Morgan registration line. I think it's important to expose Sophia to appropriate work things that, that I do so that she can begin to understand um, what it's like to have a profession. So what does Sophia want to do for a living? I want to be a babysitter when I grow up. Once we finished up with the interviews, we got back to more important matters. Sophia's tea party. How's the tea party? Want a sip, Mom? Sure, I'll have a sip of your tea. Now let's check in on a family-owned business. The Handlery Union Square Hotel has been passed down from generation to generation. And because it's right across the street from the site of the conference, it's an epicenter for activity during J.P. Morgan Week. 
The hotel plays host to conference attendees who need somewhere to stay, and it also clears out a couple floors for companies to hold meetings. We sat down with the father and son duo who run the hotel. Okay, I'm John Hanley, and I'm the president and general manager of the Hanley Union Square Hotel. My name is Jack Hanley, and uh, I'm the assistant front desk manager at the Hanley Union Square Hotel. We asked Jack, he's the younger Hanley, what it's like working the front desk at J.P. Morgan. For the most part, at the front desk, they aren't, you know, they aren't asking us to book tours to Alcatraz, for example. They aren't really inquiring about a lot of the things that the city has to offer. They're more here for business, and then they leave. And so, from a front desk standpoint, it is pretty quiet. You said, oh, things are pretty slow. How about Sunday? (laughs) Correct. So, uh, when they do come in, and I believe, yeah, Sunday was the big day. Almost 300 rooms. uh, It's... It's a huge, huge uh, influx of check-ins. Yeah, it's a madhouse when they're all checking in. And then we asked John, and that's the elder handlery, to tell us what it's like for his hotel every year during the conference. It's such a unique opportunity for uh, San Francisco because traditionally in a lot of cities, January, the first week or two, or for that matter, their entire month, is slow. But yet we have this J.P. Morgan right in the first week of January, which is just, for better sake of words, a blessing um, for all of the different entities that cater to conventions, business, or tourist travel. J.P. Morgan is notorious for filling up Union Square hotels months in advance of the actual conference. So we asked John what January 2020 is looking like for his hotel. We've already had uh, companies come in and who are staying with us, uh, a lot of repeat companies, so that's very beneficial. They said, hey, put us down for next year. We'll work out the details later, but we definitely want to be back here at your hotel. Next, we're going to take you into a Lyft ride. That's right. So as you might expect, ride-sharing services like Uber and Lyft are indispensable during an event like J.P. Morgan Week, where people are trying to navigate San Francisco and get from one meeting to the next. And that is especially true when it rains, which it did quite often this week. So on Tuesday morning, I needed to get from Stat's rented house in the Castro district to a meeting downtown with a biotech company. So I pulled up my Lyft app and Jose picked me up. San Francisco commuter traffic is epic. So Jose and I had about a half hour or so to chat. I see a lot of people coming to the city. I see uh, people talking about the conference. Uh, they're exciting to come to the conference. It's good for us because they bring uh, more business to the city. And uh, also I see like people uh, trying to find the place, looking the phones and looking around. And uh, I think it's uh, good to have this big conference here on the city. And uh, I'm glad to be here. I asked Jose whether there's a difference between a typical San Francisco lift ride and a J.P. Morgan lift ride. Yeah, it's a big difference because, uh, like I say, uh, it's a lot of more people in the city, and uh, I see the the difference uh, on the way I uh, I work. Uh, more rides, uh, more busy. Divest, divest, get your money out of this mess. Our final stop is in front of the Westin St. Francis. That's the hotel that puts on the conference. At noon on Tuesday, a couple dozen protesters gathered on the sidewalk. 
They were climate activists, and their issue was the health impacts of climate change. They were pointing the finger at J.P. Morgan Chase, and that's the huge bank that encompasses the financial services division that puts on the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference, and of course, regular old checking accounts. If Chase really cares about our health, the answer seems simple to me. When we make a mess, we are responsible for that mess. We talked to one of the protesters, Laurel Sutherland, a climate activist with the Rainforest Action Network. Here's what Laurel had to say about why he was demonstrating against J.P. Morgan Chase. They pour billions and billions of dollars into the most extreme and destructive and polluting forms of, uh, from tar sands oil to, uh, you know, natural gas to Appalachian coal. And so Chase has a major role in fueling the climate crisis, which is the number one uh, health threat in our, you know, world today. And so this is literally a life and death matter. And Chase is, you know, one of the biggest global forces perpetuating this climate crisis. We also asked Laurel why he and his fellow activists decided to target the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference in in particular. You know, we need to be looking at this climate crisis for what it is, which is a uh, civilizational threat um, and a health threat to people across the planet. Um, the spread of disease, the spread of pollution from the burning of fossil fuels, um, and the, the, you know, the threats that it poses are, are existential. And so, you know, the tie-in is really quite direct. Um, the spread of disease, the spread of So Damien, what did we learn from this exercise? Well, I wouldn't say that this is something I, I learned per se, but I think that this was all a reminder that, that J.P. Morgan isn't some abstract thing that makes stocks go up and down and applies only to people who work in biotech. It is a big, messy event that takes place in, in real life. That's right. Coverage of J.P. Morgan, and we're all guilty of this, tends to focus on the millionaire CEOs and the billionaire investors and all their grand plans for human health. But there's another perspective that often goes overlooked. And that's what we tried to highlight here. That does it for another episode of The Read Out Loud. Thank you to Hyacinth Empanado, who produced this week's episode. Matthew Orr is our senior producer, and Rick Burke is our executive producer. And as always, we'd love to hear from you. Tell us what you like about this week's special episode. Ask us questions or tell us about your own J.P. Morgan Week experience. You can do all that by sending us an email at readoutloud at statnews.com. We really do appreciate the feedback, so thank you very much. See you next week. <laughs>